She woke to ozone and blood. Then came the screams. Meridian opened her eyes as the drop pod hissed open and hands grabbed at the straps holding her in. A moment of disorientation passed as she came face to face with Tessar Merith. She could see his mouth moving, but her ears only registered the explosions behind him. He dragged her out of the pod, and the two of them hit the ground as another salvo lit up the area around them. Shaking the confusion from her head, she grabbed her kinetic rifle and began looking around. The other drop pods were behind her, and she could see the rest of Falcon's squad spread out amidst the infantry they'd been called in to join. They dropped right into an attack. Not the first time for this squad, but when they launched from the ship, there had been no firefight. They were supposed to be dropping into a quiet area. Turning back to Tessar Merith, she shouted, What happened? The amber-skinned Duva shook his head, eyes flicking over the display projecting from his cue. Somebody transmitted on an open frequency and alerted the enemy to the camp's presence. The attack started just before we hit the ground. I think your pod took a shell, but you look all right. We've got to move. Can you provide us cover? Meridian surveyed the area with a quick look. Standing stones sprinkled the encampment, relics to the ancient peoples who populated this land. The Imperial soldiers used them for cover, returning fire against the approaching Regul. Already the shapes of the enemy armor became visible in the flashes between artillery strikes. Reaching for a spot on her armor, her fingers curled around the familiar shape of her Technomancer mask. Demagnetizing it, Meridian fitted it to her face, concealing her features behind the geometric designs of the predatory Varesian hawk. As it sealed to her face, the display lit up with layers of battlefield information. Ignoring all of that, she tuned the gauntlet fused to her left arm to a new frequency and waved a hand in front of her. The closest regular soldiers illuminated in her display. They were closing in from all sides, but these ones were 20 meters out. Turning the gauntlet again, she made a series of gestures and small fissures into void space opened, and a sickly green energy leaked out, creating a smoke screen between them and the enemy. Turning to her team leader, Meridian said, Good to go, boss. Switching to comms, he said, Falcon Squad, push forward. Let's break the circle. As one, the squad turned and pushed forward, firing into the technomantic mists at targets painted on their HUD by Meridian's void magic. Explosions rippled around them as the enemy returned fire. Meridian saw a group of infantry vaporized in a second by a massive spew of plasma, but her team pressed forward. Just as they reached the void curtain's edge, Meridian clenched her fist and drew all of that void energy down into distinct motes of power, which she hurled at the still-standing regular soldiers with deadly precision. Their armored bodies twisted with the infusion of void energy. There were more regular beyond, but they had taken cover and were returning fire. Meridian tuned her gauntlet again and rose to call down lances of void power from a mass of terror and real space that she formed over their position when she heard a thump beside her. De Cure Parvor shouted a single word and tackled her before the world turned to fire and darkness. Sejana Luchale woke with a sharp inhale of breath and a cold sweat. She was alone in her quarters, 
her cue chiming, and she waved a dismissal over the notification. Sitting up in bed, she reached for the water on the table beside and drank deeply. Her heart pounded and she couldn't quite catch her breath. It had been seven years since the end of the war, but she still couldn't shake the nightmares. They didn't come for her every night, but enough that she never felt rested, restored. The others said the same things when she talked to them. It was a parting gift in the dying embers of the masked empire. Wiping away the sweat, she glanced at the notification shimmering on her cue's hollow display. Reaching over and swiping up the message, she squinted at the bright wall of text. A new contract had come through. Some poor sod named Calivar Rin. Looks like he'd downloaded the wrong com logs. Whoever was looking for him was willing to put up some rue. That's all that mattered these days. Get a job. Make some rue. Keep surviving. Sejana stood and crossed to the small shower in her quarters. It was early yet, but she wasn't likely to get any more sleep. Might as well get to work. Welcome back for another episode of Errant Adventures, the solo actual play podcast where stories are told at the speed of dice. With me, Steve Morrison, your game master and solo player. Now come on, let's grab the dice and see where our story goes. The Masked Empire ruled these stars for thousands of years, bringing peace, prosperity, and unity across the galaxy. Then the Regul came from beyond known space, making war against the Empire and carving through its territories with a fervor and fury unknown in the memory of even the oldest Duva. Like a blade of fire, they burned to the heart of the Empire, Carnopraxis, and on its verdant lands they murdered the last true emperor and left the once proud masked empire shattered. Their fury abated, the Regul retreated beyond known space, and none now know what became of them or why they unleashed their wrath upon us. With the emperor dead and Carnopraxis raised, the masked empire disintegrated as star systems declared independence. Some few of the old nobility attempted to retain a semblance of the empire that was, but even their efforts have left but a shell of the glory that once governed these stars. Times are uncertain now, as old trade routes once patrolled by imperial forces now lay open for piracy, and entire star systems have closed themselves off to the wider galaxy, eschewing involvement in the growing conflicts. The Plithen hierarchy grows in power and fervor as Executor Nason preaches protection through conquest from the religious planet Plith. Whispers of a resurgence in regular activity could indicate the imminence of another attack. Opportunities abound for those who are quick, canny, and willing to dirty their hands. Ancient ruins on forgotten worlds, cults and dead gods, new technologies, political intrigue, war, and the mysteries of void space await. Welcome back for the new season of Errant Adventures. As we transition into a more long-running story based in a space fantasy setting of my own creation. 
I've been writing stories in this setting for about 10 to 12 years now. I'm super excited to share this world with you, both through the adventures of our characters in this AP and also through the writings that I hope to publish in the coming year. As we get into this world, I have decided to take on an old, old system, one of the original sci-fi systems and maybe the granddaddy of all sci-fi systems, and that is Traveler. So this campaign will take place using the Traveler rule set, but again, in this setting of my own creation. While I'm going to use the tools and resources of Traveler, I also have my trusty Ironsworn Starforged reference guide sitting next to me, and I will be using the random tables and oracles from that, as well as some other random tables as needed. I've been debating whether or not to bring back Mythic as my oracle of choice for the yes-no questions, but again, I feel like I want to keep it super simple, especially because Traveler does have depths to it that you can really dive into. And so I'm just going to use the very basic yes-no oracle from Starforged because I'm super familiar with it. It's pretty easy for me to have a good feeling on the probabilities and how to ask the right questions to get the most out of that oracle. So that's pretty much it as far as our system and uh, the information that we need to get started. So why don't we go ahead and jump into chapter one of the first book of this new adventure. Let's get started. There is a low hum in the air as a steady stream of freighters and transport shuttles descend down to the planet's surface from orbit. In the distance sits Heraklion Interstellar Starport, the main and largest starport in the city of Davonshire, the capital of the Cassadin system. On the very edge of the starport, there is a bar called the Star Striders Respite. As we pan down from the view of this busy traffic in the skyline over Davonshire, we see a figure approaching the entrance to the Star Striders Respite. The figure is a human woman dressed in practical clothes of black and gray. She's wearing a close-fitted leather coat that hides a shoulder holster tucked under her left arm. The most obvious accoutrement that she carries is the Technomancer gauntlet on her left arm. It is this thing of wonders, this black and silver gauntlet with all sorts of dials and knobs and buttons even as she walks, she fiddles with a couple of the dials and her fingers make small gestures as though she's testing the air. Her skin is pale and her ash blonde hair is kept close cropped in a somewhat casual memory of military styling. And her blue gray eyes burn 
with cold intensity as she reaches the door and it slides open for her. She strides into the Star Strider's respite, and it's early morning, but because the Heraklion Interstellar starport never sleeps, there are a number of tables full in here. There's a low din of conversation. A few eyes turn towards the door as Sejana Luchale steps through it and looks around, surveying the room. And though maybe one or two of those eyes flick to the gauntlet on her left arm, the rest just carry on in blissful ignorance. Sejana approaches the bar and sits in an open seat, eyes sweeping the bar as she goes. Laird, the bartender, sees her settle in and approaches, towel draped over his shoulder. There's exhaustion behind his eyes, but he manages a smile as he steps up. How's my favorite liar? The flicker of a smile brushes Sejana's lips as she says, Good morning to you too, Laird. I'll have my usual. The bartender chuckles and grabs a mug, setting it under the auto dispenser and waiting for it to fill with steaming dark liquid. Then he sets it on the bar in front of her. One of these days, you should come in for a real drink. I've got a bottle of Calhoun's I've been saving. It's better than whatever dregs they pull in for this coffee. Picking up the cup and smelling it, Sejana says, The worse the coffee, the better the focus. This time Laird laughs, drawing a few looks from the other patrons. He ignores them and says, So what really brings you in today? On the hunt again? Sejana nods and reaches for her cue, swiping up an image and displaying it for him to see. Kalavar Rin, mid-thirties, worked for GenCorp until about three days ago, when he skipped out with some stolen calm logs. Came here from Brenghold. Have you seen him? And maybe we should do our first role of this game. Does he recognize this face? I'm going to say that it is a small chance. So we're going to roll our D100, and if I get a 10 or less, the answer is yes, he recognizes him. Here we go. 21 is a no, but hey, that was closer than I expected. Laird studies the image for a moment, then shakes his head. Luchelle, you know I see hundreds of people a day. I'm not likely to remember most of them. I do think I'd remember seeing this fellow, though, if he had that wide-eyed, bewildered look when he came in. But no, he doesn't look familiar. He stood upright and his eyes grew distant. How many times have I actually seen someone you've asked me about? There's silence for a moment as Sejana begins turning dials on her gauntlet. Finally, Laird looks down at her and says, You're not going to do your technomantic shit in here, are you? Management will probably frown on that. Relax, she says. This is low impact. Nobody will know what I'm doing. Just give me some space. I have to concentrate. Raising his hands, he backs away. All right, and here I thought we were having a lovely conversation. Ignoring him, Sejana begins to focus, reaching into the void to open her sight and search for any traces of Calavar Rin's presence in the Star Strider's respite. In Traveler parlance, Sejana is a psionic. So we're going to use the clairvoyance talent. And this is more specifically about uh, being able to see someone at a displaced point. 
But for this, I'm going to use it as she's trying to scan this particular area to see if he was here at some point. So this is an average check. So I have to roll eight plus, and it takes one die times 10 seconds. So she's going to take her time, and that is going to increase the amount of time that it takes, but she's going to get a plus two to her roll. And as a psionic, she has access to a variety of talents. Clairvoyance is actually the only one that she doesn't have training in. She's going to take a minus three to this test. So I have to spend a psi point, and I rolled really well in character creation. So her psionic strength is actually a 12. She's a very strong psionic. So I'm going to spend a point of psionics in order to enact this ability. And then we are going to roll 2d6. I'm going to add a minus three penalty because she is not skilled in this uh, talent, clairvoyance. But I'm going to gain plus two from taking more time. So that's a cumulative of a minus one to this roll. We're rolling 2d6. Here we go. Two and a one, that's a three. Minus one is a two. And in Traveler, effect makes a difference. So if you are one over the success, that's an average success. If you're just right on, you might have kind of like a success with a complication. Likewise, if you're just one under the target number, you might have a failure that you can like kind of succeed on part of it. If it's two to five below, that's an average failure. If it's six or below, that's an exceptional failure and something really goes wrong. And our average difficulty of eight means that this is an exceptional failure, which is just great. Sejana spends almost an hour focusing. A darkness fills her eyes, and all the people in the room muddle into shadows. As she looks about, more shapes fill her vision than people currently in the room. They move about quickly, as though she is scrubbing through surveillance footage. None of the auras feel right for a man named Calavar Rin, but she keeps looking. Then she feels a presence over her shoulder, watching her. A chill runs down her spine as a wave of malice brushes against her mind, and instinctively her fingers shift to the dials on her gauntlet, tweaking the settings. So she rolled an exceptional failure, and because of that, I think we should ask a question of the Oracle. She is going to be noticed by something as she is looking into void space in order to determine if Calavar Rin was here. And there are echoes, whispers of possibly once living creatures that reside within void space. And if a technomancer is not careful, they can draw the ire of these creatures. So I'm going to ask the question, does a void wraith break through the barrier into the real world? Because again, exceptional failure, there's got to be some consequence here. I think it is 50-50. 50 or less will be a yes on our D100. Here we go. 57. No. Okay. This presence that she feels, it lunges at her and she flinches away drawing up a wall of mental power to deflect it. The thing's ethereal claws grasp at the corners of reality, threatening to break through into the bar. 
Beads of sweat roll down Sejana's forehead as she mentally reaches out, grabs hold of the claws, and peels them back, shoving the creature back into the void. It screeches and begins flying towards her again, but with a closed fist, Sejana seals shut her connection with the void, and the room resolves itself back into light. Gasping, she leans forward, resting her head on the cool bar surface. A moment later, Laird says, Hey, you okay? When there's no response but heavy breathing, he says, Lucille, you're scaring my patrons. Sejana looks up at him, finally getting her breathing under control, and says, On second thought, I'll have some of that Calhoun's. The room is small and cramped, but Cal doesn't mind. He'd be more worried if he was in a large open space. He checks the time again and taps his fingers nervously, trying not to look over at the data strip sitting on the small desk. Trying to take his mind off it, he looks at the bland walls and wonders if all these capsule hotels use the same designer. His cue chimes and he jumps, eyes darting towards the door before glancing at the incoming message. Swiping it up, he says, ah, Gregor, uh, thanks for getting back to me so fast. The face on the other side of the comm relay smiles and says, Cal, it's good to see you. I was surprised to hear from you. Last I heard, you were working a corpo job on Brenghold. Cal chuckles nervously. <laughs> yeah, I took a leave of absence to deal with some um, family matters. A frown flicks across Gregor's face, and he says, Cal, is there something wrong? Your message was a little cryptic. Yeah, yeah, everything's fine. Uh, hey, I'm, I'm just looking to pick up some info, and, you know, I figured my old buddy would know who to talk to. Cal, you can trust me. We fought the regular together, man. If you're in trouble, you can talk to me. Cal licks his lips and says, I, I know, and I appreciate it. Everything's fine. Gregor nods. All right, bud. Well, given the parameters you sent, there's a couple of options, though some are more questionable than others. Careful what you get into. He gestures at his uniform. You've got a friend in Kassek, but I can only do so much. Cal forces a smile. I, I'm just working on a little side project. Nothing dangerous. All right. I'll send over the names. The Calhouns helps. Sejana wouldn't normally drink hard liquor at this time of the morning, but a brush with a void wraith makes the time of day less important. Laird leans against the back bar, nose in his glass. It's just wonderful. Spicy with some herbal notes. Darkstar, they really know how to make whiskey. Sejana starts at the word, her thoughts cast back to one of her old teammates, who favored that expression. She looks up at Laird and says, Are you from Shast? He stares at her over the rim of his glass. How did you know that? I have a friend from Shast, she says. He swears by the Dark Star as well. A man of culture. Laird swirls the amber liquid in his glass and says, So, Lucille, what happened there? Sejana looks at him and shakes her head. You don't want to know. He leans forward. Come on, you got me all freaked out. I was worried something bad went down. Something bad almost did, she says. A void wraith almost broke through. If it had been successful, it would have attempted to murder all of us in this room. I stopped it, though. Laird pales and leans back, sipping the whiskey. Technomancy shit. 
Did you at least get what you were looking for? Shaking her head, Sejana pulls open a registry and begins scanning through it. No, he was never here. I'll have to find him a different way. He's most likely here to sell information, so I'm going to find out who he's selling to and then track him back. You need the right kind of information broker, I'm assuming, Laird says. Sejana nods. I have a list of potential names. I'll have to check it against their current whereabouts and local info. If you don't mind, I'll be haunting your bar for a little longer. Laird stares at her and shakes his head. You did that on purpose. Returning his stare with a deadpan look, Sejana begins scrolling through names and searching for their locations. So Sejana has to figure out if Calivar is trying to run from the system or if he's trying to find someone to sell these com logs to. So I think she's going to spend a little bit of time looking at transport routes out of the system. And after a little bit of reading, she figures that's not the direction that he went. There are a couple of transports that leave Cassida, but none of them head directly to any other system that is going to be as highly developed as the Cassidan system is. The Cassidan system is one of the bastions of imperial power left, ruled by the Grand Duke Tsaranovsky, who is the highest-ranking surviving member of the Masked Empire's noble court. The Cassidan system in this time of tumult and chaos has been a bastion of safety that many people have fled to. And so the idea that this Calivar Rin has stolen these comlogs and then would try to run away to a less developed system doesn't make as much sense as him trying to find a buyer here in the capital. Her next move is to try to figure out if there are any information brokers in the area that she could go talk to to see if they have come across any of this information or if they have been approached by anyone about selling some com logs from a corporation. We're going to make a streetwise role to determine if we can figure out an information broker that he might go to to sell this information. So her streetwise, she's trained in it, but she has a zero level in it. Because she's using sort of her knowledge of the underworld and of this system and the information brokers that she has undoubtedly come across in the years that she's been operating here in the Cassidan system, I am going to use her intellect for this. So she's just going to get her two from intellect. I think this is going to be a difficult check. So the target number is going to be 10. So 2d6 plus 3, we're shooting for a 10. Here we go. Well, these dice really hate me. That's two ones. That's not a great start to this campaign. So two ones plus two is a four. The difficulty was 10. That is an exceptional failure, which of course it is. She knows of an information broker who deals specifically in stolen corporate information. The complication here is that he hates her because in a previous job, 
she screwed him over royally. And so she can't even walk in the door without him either setting off his security devices or just running out of there as fast as possible. She narrows it down to one name, studies it for a long moment, and then says, Of course. Laird glances up from the manifest he's scanning. You find something? Standing, she nods and says, Unfortunately so. The only likely buyer for the information Rin is trying to sell hates me. What? How could anyone hate your sparkling personality? Laird grins. It's mostly tired bartenders and Duracrete walls. Look, I've got to go. Thanks for the drink. Sejana turns to go, but as she does, Laird says, Wait! She turns back to face him. He looks around, fidgeting with a glass. Yes, she says, raising an eyebrow. Laird's shoulders slump. Oh, uh, when you're gone, uh, that, that void wraith, it's not coming through, right? No, she says. You're perfectly safe. Probably more so now that I'm leaving. The wraith isn't hunting you. And she turns and walks out of the Star Strider's respite. And we fade into the cockpit of a large transport vessel. A woman about 34 is working on a control panel, dressed in a pilot's jumpsuit. She is seemingly entering some calculations into the computer with her right hand, and in her left hand is a small insignia from the Imperial Navy that she is fiddling with. Her skin is dark, and her curly hair rises up from the top of her head. The left side of her hair is shaved, and she has deep brown eyes. She's sitting there tapping at the console when the sound of booted feet on the deck plating brings her out of her focus. She quickly tucks that insignia away in her pocket and turns in the ship as Sejana enters the cockpit. Hey there, Lushale. It's good to see you. What are you doing back so soon? You left quite early this morning and didn't think I'd see you again till tonight. Hello, Ayati. I have a request for you. All right, I'll listen. I need to go talk to someone, but that someone doesn't particularly like me. Would you be interested in being my proxy? Wait, wait, wait. You want me to get involved in your lyrin? I thought you told us when you came on board that you didn't want any of us getting involved. I don't want any of you getting involved, but I have little choice, as I don't think that Cassidy's security would particularly like me kicking in the door to this individual's office and forcibly making my way to him. So it's that kind of relationship, huh? Well, all right. I mean, what's in it for me? 5,000 rue. 5,000 rue. I mean, that's a pretty good deal. I'll tell you what. 5,000 rue, and you take me to dinner after, and tell me what your job's all about, and you got yourself a deal. Very well. We cut away to a busy street, deep in the bowels of Davonshire, this sprawling metropolis. 
drift cars hover past above and there is a bustle of people walking the streets. Ayati Kelana stands before a nondescript door with a keypad. She approaches and presses a button on there. And then a voice says, what, who is it? Ayati says, uh, the name's Zira. And I was told to come here to get some information. I have an appointment. There's silence for a moment. And then the door unseals and Ayati looks both ways, sticks her hands in the pockets of her jumpsuit and walks through the door. She finds herself in a small room that looks something like a pawn shop, except instead of sundry items, there are mostly data cores and data strips and a variety of different methods for transporting information. And behind the counter is a short man with reedy thin hair and what almost looks like a mustache that's been drawn on. He looks at her with skeptical eyes and says, you said your name was Zira? Yeah, that's right. That's me. And you're here for some information. Well, yeah. Isn't that why everybody comes down here? Uh, yeah, so of course. I received your note from earlier and says you were looking for some information on communication logs. That's rather specific. I don't know if you uh, have any more specifics for me. Well, you see, I'm looking to uh, find my way into possession of some information about uh, GenCorp. You see, I'm, uh, well, I shouldn't say too much, but I'm working for a third party that is trying to scoop a little bit of what GenCorp is doing. I was told that you might have a line on some information that might help us out. So I'm down here to see if you have the information that we're looking for so that we can give you the rue that you're looking for. So we should go back to our oracle and ask, has this information broker, who we should actually give a name to, we shouldn't leave this fellow out without giving him a name. So I'm going to pop open my Starforged reference guide and just grab a quick code name, because I feel like this fellow wouldn't go by a regular name. He would definitely go by a code name. Let's roll RD100. 72 Rook. All right, so we have a name. So the question is, has Calivar Rin reached out to Rook about selling GenCore com logs? I think it's likely because he is the known person to reach out to when you've got illegal com logs that you want to sell. So I'm going to say it is likely, which is 75 or less. 47 is a yes, finally. He looks at her and says, well, I just might have something that you and your compatriots are interested in, but I don't have it for sale yet. Come back tomorrow and I'll have something more for you. All right, Rook, if that's what you need, then I'll come back tomorrow. Can I get a, a, a little taste of what, what you might have so I can go back to my employer and tell them exactly what I've got on the line. You know, they're not going to authorize a transfer of funds if I don't have the information. And I think that for this, we should 
make another roll, and it seems like it's going to be deception. This is not necessarily her strength. So let's go ahead and roll our 2d6 plus deception, which is untrained, so that's a minus 3, plus her social, which is a plus 1. So she's going to be at a minus 2 for this. And I'm going to say that difficulty is just average. So it's an 8 with a minus 2 on here. 2d6, come on, baby. Look at that. A 6 and a 4 is a 10. Minus 2 is an 8. She gets it exactly. So maybe Rook is looking at her somewhat suspiciously. Finally, he shrugs off that whisper of uncertainty. And he says, yeah, I hear it has to do with that drug that they make. But I don't know anything more about that yet. So you just make sure you come back here with 25,000 rue ready to go. And I'll have some information for you. Well, all right then. Sounds great. Thanks a bunch, Rook. And she's going to turn around and leave. She crosses the street. She walks down the avenue for five minutes before turning down another street where Sejana is waiting. And as she walks up, Ayati has a big, wide grin on her face. And she says, hey, now, that was kind of fun. Thanks for listening to Errant Adventures. If you enjoyed the show, please spread the word. And if you want to support the show directly, leave me a review or support me on Patreon at patreon.com slash errantadventures. You can also buy me a coffee at ko-fi.com slash errantadventures. If you want to interact with me, my handle on all the socials is at errantsolopod. Or you can email me at errantsolopod at gmail.com. I also post short fiction and campaign-related materials on my website, errantadventurespod.com. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you in the deep, liars. Liars.